Ernest, what's up? Y'all know I'm big on doing your research, sharing your research, and giving credit to where you found the research. But I always get asked the same question. Where do I start with the research? And the answer is easy. It's our sponsor, Yahoo Finance. Whether I'm tracking the daily movement of my favorite companies, doing technical analysis with their easy-to-use charting platform, or checking balance sheets, Yahoo Finance makes something very complex simplified. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or you're looking for extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. You could actually securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors. And it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You heard me, yahoofinance.com. Don't wait, don't hesitate. I use it. You should go over there and start using it now. Megan Holster Alexander is, uh, well, <clears throat> she's at one of the most successful VC firms of all time, um, Adrian Harwitz, mm -hmm. and um, she leads the firm's cultural leadership fund, uh, CLF, mm -hmm. um, which is actually a, a very big deal. Um, a lot of high profile uh, people are in there. Yep. Um, and, you know, she's just, you know, it's very interesting because there's not a lot of black people in, in VC and there's not a lot of women in VC. So she's obviously a black woman. So it's, it's already, you know, a legendary situation just to even uh -huh. be in her, her position. But just, you know, somebody that has killed in the game and um, is a rising star mm -hmm. in the world of VC. So I feel like we haven't had a, a venture capital conversation in a while since John Henry was on. Shout out to John. Um who always, you know, gives so much great insight. Yeah. But these, these conversations are very needed because, um, you know, it's high level conversation, as my guy 19 Keys would say. Yep. And um, it, it kind of, you know, gets people a information, but also thinking outside the box where yeah. we're not just talking about the same thing every single week. Where it's like now you can start to think on a much higher level where talking about, you know, billions of dollars and things of that nature. Um, so welcome. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm. This is a big deal. I got to call my mama and let her know where I am. <laughs> that's a, that's amazing. A fact. Sixty. Shout out to mama on YouTube. She's watching. Don't hit, worry. Hit the like button if you're on YouTube. Hit the like button. Sixty-three hundred people. This is uh, uh, the biggest show ever created when it comes to investing. Um, Fantastic. So, I'm yeah. listen. I need to. Um, I need you to say that number again so I can try to get on the plane. I need to put in a um, a bid. <laughs> try and get on the plane. <laughs> I mean, we would be honored if you could be at InvestFest. So, uh, oh yeah, you got to be an InvestFest. I'm I'm gonna try really, really hard to make it. It's a um a crazy weekend for flying and stuff I gotta do, but I'm I'm gonna try to squeeze in one day. I promise. I'm gonna try real hard. Uh, it would be. Uh, I bought um, a ticket. I bought a ticket, not even knowing if I could come, but I already I have a ticket. Know. And if I can't make it, I'm gonna give it to somebody who who, who can come for sure. 
Wow. Appreciate Amazing. that. Thank Amazing. you. Appreciate Amazing. that. Um, okay. Let's get into this conversation. Let's so, do it. I'm going to jump right into it um, because I think you had heard we was talking to um, Don Peebles. And one of the things that he said was, I don't want to quote the wrong number, but it's something like $60 billion, something like that. Venture capital money out there. Flowing around, a crazy amount of number. Yeah, $66 billion. Um, Less than point like seven percent of one percent, like less than 70 basis points. Yeah, one percent goes to black and women, minority and women businesses combined. It's not even the number's not even big enough to just say black businesses, so they got to put women in there combined. So it's a fraction of a percent. You are correct, a fraction Mm. of a percent. When, from my understanding, also, um, black women percentage wise started the most businesses last year mm-hmm. in America. Um so well, duh, I mean, that's, that's what we do. Black women, we just do it all. That's a fact. So that's a disturbing number. That's an mm-hmm. extremely disturbing number that nobody's talking about. Cause like he told yeah. us, he was like, imagine if it was even proportional to the population, where it's like I think we're like 20% of the population. So imagine if 20% of that 66 billion went to black businesses. Mm-hmm. Like imagine how that would change the landscape of things overnight. Like the money's there. It's in circulation. It's just not getting to us. And, but nobody's talking about that, but everybody's saying like, well, black businesses fail and different things of that nature. But I mean, there's underlying issues on why this is happening. So, okay. How do we solve this problem with venture capital? Mm -hmm. So first is way more than 66 billion in venture money out there working. Way, way, way. I, I couldn't even tell you, but, you know, Andreessen Horowitz alone, we've got about 30 billion under management. We're just one firm that's only been in operation for the last 10 to 12 years. And um, and so we're just one firm. There's hundreds of firms out there, multiple that are, are big kind of multi-stage investment firms like ours. So. So 66, I would say, is a low, a low number. Maybe they I think that was like every year, maybe 66. OK, annually. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But at work, there's a, a lot of dollars at work um, um, over time. But you're asking a big question and I think is really hard to solve. But one of the things that I've seen over the last few years is people just got to put the put the money out there because, you know, historically, people have a way that they look at companies. It's like you have to have, you know, we want the founders to have a certain degree. We want the founders to have a certain amount of experience, have worked at a certain set of companies. Right. If you've worked at, you know, I'm an ex- Twitter, it's Facebook, it's, you know, Yelp in- engineer, whatever the case may be. And the fact is that you don't need all those things to be a good founder. And so I think when we can open up the scope to who can be a good founder, uh, we will likely get more dollars in the hands of Black folks and Black women specifically. At the same time, I think the other thing is really important is putting Black um, investors in place so they can distribute the capital. Right. Mm-hmm. Because people a lot of times like for our for kind of the industries that people like, you usually can only like understand problems that like, you know, or that you've seen. And so when we ask white investors to understand black companies or black businesses, if they're in a particular space, they don't get it. Right. So then they get into the, the investment committee meeting and they got to do a vote. And they're like, well, I don't understand. I don't get it. And so if we have black investors that have dollars that they can put into companies, um, that also, I think, will increase the amount of dollars that go into um, black founders. 
At the same time, it's not like black founders only found black companies. We, we found, you know, social media companies or consumer, you know, e-commerce companies too. But we do need to have more folks in the room who understand our, our community to, to make the decision. So I would say probably those two things. So VC is something that, you know, is not spoken about in a lot of our, in our communities. And so yeah. I'm interested in what led you to the path of VC? Um, it's for sure. So I, I just learned about VC in 2016. Wow. So I'm about six years in, I was on a completely different path in life. I went to Park Atlanta undergrad. Shout out to hey, CAU. Shout out to the Panthers. Shout out to the Panthers. Yeah. Um, and I was getting a sociology degree. I was like, oh, I love learning about people and groups. And I had this idea that I wanted to be an academic. I wanted to do research full time and teach full time, be dean of a school and the president of a college. And um, I went through this path, got my first master's, went to a PhD, hated it, dropped out. I was like, I got to get out of here. This is this is not for me. Um, Move to California. And you know, they say to, to be successful in Silicon Valley, you got to have a good dropout store. So I got my dropout okay. store, yeah. um, moved to, to Silicon Valley. And it wasn't until I went to business school. So I went to business school at Stanford and um, I didn't live on campus because by, by the time I went to business school, I was much older than you know most of the people there. And I was like, I'm going to stay in my house. I'm not going to move on campus and all that stuff. And so I was trying to beat traffic. OK, when I was picking my classes, I didn't want to be driving at nine o'clock in the morning on the 101. It is a. Uh, very hectic. And so there was a venture class that was like early afternoon. I said, perfect, sign me up and didn't know what it was. And so I get in there and it was actually with Eric Schmidt. So Eric Schmidt is wow. the former CEO of Google, um, former CEO, chairman. Everybody calls him, you know, the first adult in the room uh, at Google. And I knew, got completely distracted by finance. That's the bottom line. Went into that class, read everything just started doing extra stuff, extra reading. And one day um, we went for a walk with Eric after class and he may or may not remember this, but we did a little short walk around the GSB and he's like, you know, Megan, you're one of my best students. I think you should try venture for real. And I said, black people don't do that. I said, now why would you try to set me up for failure knowing that there are not people who look like me in this industry? And so I kind of just brushed it off. Um, But after a while I said, you know what, Megan, if, Eric Schmidt says you should try something. Maybe, maybe you should try it. So then the rest is kind of history. I spent my time running up and down Sand Hill Road. Um, the rest of my time at uh, business school, started doing internships. You're supposed to do like one internship between year one and year two in business school. And I think I did a total of like four all throughout the year. I was working during school, um, turned into a full-time role, and I've been doing it ever since. Cool question for you. For those who are interested in getting into the VC space, uh, yep. what, what are some of the most innovative ways you've seen people that look like us break yep. into the industry? Yep. So I would say there, there's two ways. Um, and honestly, the most innovative and I think most successful thing I've seen people do is start their own. Mm-hmm. In the last two or three years, we've seen more black founded venture funds and firms than I've ever seen. It's been an explosion and I love it. Um, if you're looking for the more traditional path, there's a couple of ways you can do it. So working at a startup, people love seeing that you've spent time on a product team, that you've spent time in engineering or spent time in marketing because you have insight into what to look for in a founder, right? You, you understand like, oh, they need to set up this 
you know, piece of the company or this vertical. You have insight into kind of what the needs are in the space. Um, also, go, going to business school and kind of just getting an extra business edge and how to think about, you know, technology and to think about business and to think about startups is important. But I say one of the, the easiest ways is going to a startup and actually spending some time in it because you get kind of an extra edge. And then actually probably the most important thing is having a perspective about the future. So VC is a long game. It is very different from the public market. It is not like, oh, I'll buy some stocks and next year I'm going to cash out. Or in two years, I'm going to cash out. Or in five years, I'm going to cash. Because I, I tell my investors in CLF, um, you know, venture is an eight to 10 year game. Like it is a long view game. I say, if you're going to come to me in two years and ask me where your money is, I don't have it. Yeah. I don't have it. Um, and so investors who have a, a perspective on what they think is going to happen in the future, like, oh, I think, you know, people are going to want to start communicating through, I don't know, bird calls by, you know, by 2030, right? And so you start looking for companies in that space. Um, you, they just really want people who are kind of thinking beyond the wave. So if you can kind of formulate, in, you know, an idea around that, I think um, you're likely setting yourself up for success. Let me, let me ask you this. Um, ask me this. Me <laughs> Okay, how do you get the money? So if how how do companies position themselves to attract venture capital money? Mm -hmm. So different VCs like different things. All VCs are not the same. And the first thing is that people would, you're going to put yourself in a good position if you find the VCs that are looking for what you have. So if you're building a consumer product, um, a social app, necessarily going to talk to enterprise investors or fintech investors or the biotech investors, that's not going to serve you. You're going to waste everybody's time, your time and their time. And neither, you know, neither party is going to like that. So identify who the investors are that are in your space and not just like your vertical, but your, um, your um, size range, right? So are you raising a pre-seed round, right? Are you raising $500,000? If you're raising $500,000, you don't want to go to a growth fund, right? They're looking for companies that are much later, have a ton of revenue, have a ton of you know staff already. So make sure you're not only in the right vertical, but also in the right size range of, of you know what you're trying to raise. Um, you know, early stage VCs tend to be looking for folks with great ideas. What it, it's you know it's usually pre traction, sometimes pre product before you have anything. Um, so if you're you're early stage, it's really about the team that's building it, right? What is your background? Why are you the best person to build this particular company? Um, and then as you grow, it kind of changes, right? How much traction do you have? If you have an app, how, what's the engagement looking like? You know, how often are people on your app and for how long? Um, so whatever the, the kind of key performance indicators are for your business, that's really what you should lean into. I think this this conversation is extremely important. We all have children. I have a daughter and Megan, obviously you are somebody that is extremely inspirational, right? And so I wonder what the experience is like coming into the space, obviously that we're not familiar with in our community. A lot of times as a black woman coming into the space, what has that experience been like for you over the, the, the past six or seven years? Totally. So first I have two kids. You're, you, you're getting mom life right now because Here's a, a crib. You see the Paw Patrol uh -oh. stickers on the Shout wall. Out to Chase. Been there. <laughs> Shout out to Chase. Chase is on the case. 
Okay. Absolutely. In the chat, I need you to to to, to say something if Paw Patrol has a chokehold on your child, like it does mine. <laughs> um, it did mine for two years. For two, right? It's it's a yeah. thing. Um, but for for me as a mom, I'll say in. I think venture in general has a long way to go when it comes to women in our role um, in this industry. And I think there's a lot of learning to do and a lot of growing to do. But what I can say is that, you know, at Andreessen Horowitz, I've had a really fantastic experience as a mom. Um, I'm actually on maternity right now. I have a two month old. I have a two month old and I um, am, am technically not, you know, technically not working. But I really do love, um, you know, my role and I love my firm so much that um, I'm happy to, to share about them any, any chance I get. But I think the key is people making sure that they have really great maternity policies, people making sure that women feel supported in the workplace. And it's not like, oh, if you have kids and you can't work until 2 a.m. and you can't um, drop everything and get on a flight in one hour. That, that doesn't mean you're any less committed to, to your role. And I think one of the things, and I hope this is okay for me to share, um, one of my favorite things about our firm is our leadership has been really phenomenal from a maternity leave perspective and just supporting women at work. Um, and when the pandemic first started, you know, everybody was like, oh, we're going remote, but we think we're going to come back. We might do hybrid. Like, no, like companies are really trying to figure out what they were going to do. <clears throat> And I'll never forget our founder, Ben Horowitz, got on um, our all hands and told us, you know, it just happens every Friday. And he says, you know, I was talking to lots of staff about what they want to do and, you know, trying to get opinions on like what should happen first. That's the first sign of a good leader is like asking people what they actually want to do. And he said, I was speaking to a, a woman and she said, this pandemic has been the first time that I felt like I can be a good mom and a good employee. And he said, I'm not taking that away from people. I can't take it away. And so he said, we're not going back, you know, no matter what we do, we're not going back to, you know, fully in office culture because I can't do that to the moms. And I'm just like, sign me up, you know? So I really, really appreciated that. But I think overall the the industry does have a really, really long way to go because there's not a lot of women. Yeah. To tie into what you were talking about, like as a parent, I have one seven-year-old, he's in there playing Fortnite now. Um, how do you balance everything? So being a woman, African-American woman in a super competitive space, how do you manage that family life while trying to be the best at your craft in this VC space? I don't, I don't balance it. I'm going to be agree with you. I don't balance it very well. I do my best, but, um, I try to put like a couple of little rules in place. So for me, when my first son was born, I have a three-year-old and two-month-old. I was like, he's coming everywhere. He's coming everywhere with me. I don't care if yeah. it's work. I don't care if it's for play. Up until he's two, I'm going to take him with me. Because if I'm traveling for work, even if I'm gone for two nights, I'm all stressed out. Like, oh, I miss him and I got a FaceTime. But if he's, if he's with me, I can stay somewhere for two weeks and not be worried yeah. about it. Because whenever I get off, or I'm going to be back with him. So um, that's kind of the first thing that I do. And uh, I think that um, having women kind of who have been um, my superiors over time when they have children they really lean into to women who are in the same position so I try to provide that for people who are on my team as well as much as I can like you, you need flexibility your child is sick you shouldn't feel bad about your child when it's sick 
should why should you be scared to tell your boss right and so i try yeah. to create that type of environment for everybody around and i hope that people try to do it for me too and we just gotta stop explaining ourselves so much. like oh i gotta leave early because i gotta take my kid to the um you know the they got a basketball game and just say i gotta go i gotta leave early mm. you don't you know we don't have to do all of the explaining and hoping that people will like say okay it's all right just say what you gotta do you think that's an african-american thing or a woman thing mm. both 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 yeah. All right. So let's let's talk about this. How do you pitch yourself to companies for VC? Like if you if what what should what should like what's the uh one on one kit that somebody should have if they're interested in getting VC money? And at what point should somebody even entertain trying to get VC money? Yeah, so um reasonable people can disagree, but I think that it really just depends on how ready you want to be. But venture tech startups is very much a fail fast type of mentality. You rather try early, figure out what you're doing wrong, and then come back again after you've fixed all your mistakes. If you're trying to get everything perfect, like, oh, my company has to be perfect and you have to have all these details right, et cetera, yeah. you're probably going to spend too much time trying to get that right and actually not know what you need to fix because you haven't shown anybody, right? You're building in secret. And you're like, oh, this has to be perfect. And then at the end of the day, you go do your pitch and they're like, oh, well, all these things are wrong and you could have fixed them far earlier. So again, if you want to raise at the pre-seed level, a lot of people don't have a product. It's just an idea mm -hmm. and a pitch deck. Um, and you're walking somebody through what you think it could be. A lot of investors on the VC side are just, we care about magnitude, right? It's like, how big can this idea get? Have you identified a really, really big market? Is it a really, really great team? And do I think that they can execute? Um, and you can get money with nothing. Well, let's, right? so let's, 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 let's break this down a little bit. Yeah. So, cause I, I want to talk to people that that's not really familiar with the space. So yeah. the team is, the team is very important, right? Mm -hmm. So putting together a team, like senior leadership, other people that have already had success in the space, that's going to be helpful. Right. Yeah. And then like putting together like the pitch deck, um, of the idea of kind of, like you said, just even if it's not fully there yet, like yep. what it can potentially do and convincing somebody that you have the capability of actually making this happen. Right. Yeah. For sure. For sure. And it, I would say even beyond getting to senior leadership, when you're at the really, really early stage, it's about the founding team, right? Mm -hmm. Who, who are the people who are founding this company? If it's like, Oh, um, say it's an education tech company and it's about, teaching kids how to X, Y, Z, whatever. Um, and you're a former teacher, right? That's really interesting to investors because you know the space, you understand what the need is, or you're a former principal or a school board member. And then you partner up with, say, an engineer who was at whatever other ed tech company, right? We're looking at, are these puzzle pieces in place for this idea and this team to actually work? So you're leading... No, Troy, go ahead. So, so, so you're leading the, the, the cultural leadership fund. Um, can you talk about what it is, uh, its importance, and how unique it is to the tech space? I can. I can. So cultural leadership fund. So it probably starts. Let me start at what Andreessen Horowitz is, because that will make cultural leadership fund make even more sense. So Let's do it. Andreessen Horowitz, we are a venture capital firm. Um, 
We've got, again, about $30 billion under management, and we do early stage and growth stage investing, so the full kind of scale of, of venture capital. Uh, and we do so through a number of funds. So we've got um, a venture fund, we've got crypto fund, we've got growth, we have um, a biotech fund. So all of those funds exist at our firm. And then cultural leadership fund is this other fund uh, that is a strategic co-investment vehicle inside of Andreessen Horowitz. So we invest alongside those other ones that I just mentioned. But mm-hmm. the thing that is really interesting and really cool about what we do at CLF is that we do those co-investments with two main missions in mind. So the first is connecting the world's greatest cultural leaders to the best new technology companies. Um, and the second is getting more young African-Americans into technology. So that first mission, I, you guys actually kind of talked about it earlier. When we say getting cultural leaders um, into technology companies. We mean the world's greatest athletes, entertainers, musicians, C-level executives, all of whom are uh, excited about technology. They're interested in innovation. They want to play a role in the things that are being built across this industry. And CLF gets to be an on-ramp for that. And I think for so many, you know, we call them cultural leaders. um, You know, in the past, it's been about like getting a sponsorship deal with a company after they've gotten big or figuring out how to monetize on, you know, X platform. But for us, it's about getting ownership on the cap table of these companies. Mm-hmm. And again, these are companies kind of pre-public. So before the, the average retail investor can get into a company, we're taking it back to the private space and making sure that we get black dollars onto the, the cap tables of these companies. Quick question for you. So what are like three or four key traits that a entrepreneur can have that will make your fund or one similar to it go crazy. Like once you see their pitch deck or presentation. Yep. So the important thing to note there is CLF is a co-investment vehicle. So we don't do direct investments. We invest alongside the other funds. But I, I think that's an important piece to bring up though, because in this concept, I think about black generational wealth. And I think there's a few like really key ways to do it when we think about technology and technology companies. The first is obviously investing in in black founders, right? It's making sure you put dollars in their hands so they can put into their companies and grow. The second is getting black dollars on cap tables. So getting black investors into whatever tech companies that are out there. And then the third is getting black talent into tech companies. So being an employee at the seed or the series A or the series B stage, because that early employee equity can potentially be very, very valuable down the road, right? We've all heard the stories of Facebook or Twitter making people millionaires overnight. Um, And so I think those are the three ways to really build um, generational wealth for the Black community. I think technology has proven that time and time again. And CLF focuses on those last two. We focus on Black investor dollars on the cap table, and we focus on Black talent into technology companies. Dame Dash on the FaceTime call during Market Monday. <laughs> um, buzz him in, right. buzz him in. What's up, bro? Look, I was joking. Say, say, what's, say what's up. Is 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 everybody? It's, she's one of the most powerful people in in venture capital. This is Dame Dash. <laughs> say what's. Hi, Dame Dash. No, <laughs> Dad. We we only doing a live show right now, bro. <laughs> You're on the live show. <laughs> What'd you say? You said the camera skills tough. No, all you showing me is a curtain. <laughs> Yo, we on a live show. I'm gonna call you. I'm gonna call you right back. I, yeah, man. Can we, we can live. We actually make an announcement. Actually, 
What do you think about Vince Please, and Dame Dash? Bring him into oh, the combo. Let, let's Dame, Dame. I, I was you gotta bring the the, the, the phone she's to the good. Yeah, I, I she's wasn't good. I wasn't planning on this, but everything happens for a reason. So Dame Dash is one of our favorite people on earth. Yes, a cultural icon. Absolutely. He yes. reminds us every single time he speaks to us <laughs> how much he's helped our program. How important he is to us. Yes. <laughs> you have to love him your value. I remind y'all how much I have to help my program. That's what I was doing. <laughs> so, that too. <laughs> so, 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 Dane, I, I called you the other day. I said, look, we got this big thing in VestFest, da, 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 da. We need you there. And after about five minutes, Dame Dash will be at InvestFest. <laughs> Confirm. You better not let me get around, Dame. You think I act crazy now, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Dave Dash, ladies Dave and Dash. gentlemen, will be this in is, Atlanta. A market Monday. What's the, date, what's the date again? <laughs> August seventh. I'm gonna make sure you're there. August 7th. I must. I'm gonna call you every single day to make sure you're there. That's a fact. We... All right, bet. That means we're breaking bread. That's a fact. Yes, breaking bread. Dane, I'm gonna call you. I'm gonna call you after this is over, brother. Uh, I see you got your beard lined up. <laughs> 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 different, yo. different. <laughs> oh. It's not Tell Dave, Dave we love call out. Uh, Dave, always, always, always got jokes. Always got jokes. Uh, true, and, and true and character. Know, you know, you're killing it. All right, my nigga. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Dame Dash will be at InvestFest, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Market Monday's exclusive. I was gonna wait till till next week to drop that, but there he is. I get, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm on this episode because all the big announcements are coming in this episode. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that is a fact. <laughs> I picked the right time. At first, it's funny. I um, I I think we were supposed to do a different day, but I ended up on the biggest announcement. That is true. That is it. true. There you That's have true. it. Tyler Perry, Dame Dash. It just it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And we're not done. Yeah, um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I couldn't resist myself. Dame, anytime Dame calls, that's you know that's a legendary moment. We grew up on like music, like Rockefeller, like you know. So it's still kind of weird to me that Dame Dash calls me Facetime. Like it's kind of surreal. It's bizarre. It's 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 weird. Yeah, like, you know what I'm saying. Like, like the numbers that come through, I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah. This is our life now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can I ask a clean question real quick? Yes, please. Um, so Ben is one of my favorite entrepreneurs of all time. Can you share maybe like three or four big lessons you've learned from him since being there? Ooh. Take your time. Yes. Ooh, that's a, that's a good question. You put me on the spot. I have learned actually a lot of lessons, uh, from Ben. Um, my favorite, I'll give you my favorite. So our firm is really active venture firm doing a lot of stuff all the time. And I think there are a lot of opportunities that come our way that um, could be quick and easy. But Ben has this phrase, and we have this value at the firm that says, we take the long view on relationships. Mm. And what that means is, is we're, we're in a relationship business. Um, but what that means is that we don't sacrifice relationships for a quick buck you don't have to, when, when people come into our firm, you don't have to worry about us going and running and tell somebody else about your business or all your secrets or, you know, that we'll steal something or switch up something up. Like we, we are very um, loyal to the relationships that we build. And I, that is just dangerously critical to me um, because yeah. I think that loyalty is really important. And I think trust is really important. That's everything. Um, but the, we, we take the long view on relationships. Nobody ever has to worry about us 
you know, flipping and dipping for a million here, or five million there, or ten million here. We are, um, we really try to be about it. Let me ask you this: You, you spoke about Series A, Series B. We had like C yes. round. We just spoke to um, uh, Pinky from Flutty Vegan. She just got twenty five million dollars in her seat. Pinky, my heart. That is my yeah. bag. Oh yeah, yeah. That's, Pinky. That's my bag. She's um. She's a, she's a we went to college together. She really? is my soror. She brought me into Delta. Wow. She was Miss CAU the year before me. And then I was Miss EAU, but she was Miss Junior and I was Miss Suck. We've been leveling up on each other for a long time. For a long time. She's everything. And I'm always following in her footsteps. So this is. Yeah. Uh, I'm, you I have two month old. She has a one week old. Yeah. Y'all sisters for real. <laughs> that is my um, sister for sure. Shout out to Pinky. But yeah, can you kind of talk about that? Like seed rounds, round A, round, like what, what does that mean? Yep. So that's just about the stage that you are in in the company. And I tell people to think about fundraising rounds as like a step function. It's not it's not like a lot a linear you know relationship like this. It just goes over. It's not like that where it's like you just, your valuation grows and it doesn't work like that. It's like this, right? And what that means is like if you're at a seed round, um, there's all the stuff that you need to do before you can raise a series A. And then when you raise a series A. You, you just stay flat. There's all the stuff you need to do and accomplish and achieve from attraction and a profit and a revenue perspective before you can raise a series B. And then you jump up to the next round. It's not kind of this like constant ticking. Um, but essentially, usually like uh, a seed round is maybe you've got a rough version of your product. You are, um, you know, working on a beta. Maybe you've got a couple of people testing it out. By Series A, you you found um, a little bit of product market fit. You're starting to think about, you know, you've got a, a repeatable process for acquiring customers or users, right? There's all these kind of um, uh, tidbits of, of traction and benchmarks yeah. that, that firms are looking for. And every firm is different, right? Some firms might say, well, no, that seed that you said is more of a Series A to me. And for other people, like, oh, that's a totally a Series B. Um, so every firm is different, but the idea is that there's kind of these benchmarks that you have to meet to get to each round. So obviously the, the fund, you, you've had a lot of people invest. You've had obviously yeah. celebrities, you've had cultural leaders, you, you've had athletes. I'm wondering from your side, how encouraging it is to see this type of diversity coming into the space, or if it's not at a pace that you, you, you know, that is fulfilling to you, what can we do to encourage people to look at this as a way to actually put into your portfolio as a way to generate generational wealth? Like, yeah. what, what are your thoughts on that? Yep, for sure. So I, um, we, the, the insight that kind of started cultural leadership fund was this idea that when it came to the things that were cool, what people wore, what people liked to do what they talked about. It was black Twitter and Instagram and the in black TikTok. It was black people and what we were doing that everybody wanted to do. Um, but again, so often we weren't capturing any of the value of these companies, right? Again, we'd be real popping on there and then maybe get a sponsorship later or whatever the case is. But when it came to owning the company as they grew and your kind of relationship growing proportionately, you know, and your wealth growing proportionately to the company, it just didn't exist. So CLF was created in order to kind of alleviate that where it's like, okay, these black culture creators, people shaping, shifting, creating culture, if we can get them on the cap tables early, then they can really truly capture the value of what it is that they're bringing to the platform. 
Um, and so I, I love it because our investors have become some of the most savvy, thoughtful, um, you know, investment partners in these companies that, that I've ever seen. So this whole concept of like a dumb athlete, this whole concept of like a spacey, you know, actress or whoever, or business leader, it's th- those days are over. Um, these are some of the most thoughtful and kind of intricate people that, that I've ever met in portfolio companies like working with them. They don't want to work with people who are just going to drop a couple of dollars and disappear. That's, yeah. that's completely useless because money is abundant when it comes to the venture capital space. It's like, they don't have to take your money. Mm-hmm. They don't have to take your money. They're getting money from, you know, Andreessen Horowitz or Square or whoever else. If you're, you know, when you're a cultural leader, it's not about your money. It's about the value that you can help bring to help the company succeed. Um, and so I've seen people really come into that, you know, into their own as investors through, through the CLF. Uh, and I, I think that's only going to grow. I think it's an insight that other people are starting to catch on to and try to create kind of similar, similar vehicles. Um, but we're really proud that we get to to be the first. Can you talk about the and, impact? This my apologies. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go for it. Um, can you talk to us about the impact that attending CAU had on your life? Because sometimes I think as African Americans, we think HBCU isn't as good. But the guy who actually inve- uh, introduced me to investing went to Clark. You mentioned of course he did. Why would he not? Why would he go anywhere else? Shout out him, Dr. Pleasant, right? Um, can you talk about how important and what an impact uh, attending Clark had on you in your career? Clark was everything. I, again, I was from, I'm from Alabama. Um, what part? Montgomery. Wow, I got a family in Midway. You been over there? Come on, man. <laughs> you, you, got, you said you got family in Midway? Yeah. Okay, that's the country. Country, country, solo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's yeah. okay. My people are from Pigeon Creek and Greenville and Butler. You follow? Creek, but like, yeah. And people try to play. Let me. I'm gonna come back to your question. But people try to play me because all the people from California and New York be like, oh, "I'm I'm from New York. I'm from California." And I'm like, where's your grandma? Right. Where's your grandmother from? And they be like, Mississippi, yeah. Louisiana, <laughs> Alabama, yeah. right? All these southern states. Mississippi, like, yeah, yeah. We're like, you're welcome. Um, you're welcome. You're I'm welcome. Drinking out of a mason jar, like it's my life. I, hey. I, it's my life. Um, but re- remind me really quickly, what was the question? Clark Atlanta, yes. Um, yes. But I think when it came to experiencing people from lots of different places, it's I think places like Clark Atlanta that bring together students, particularly because it's um it's a private HBCU. It's really small. And so people come from different states, um, uh-huh. which I really enjoyed. Our whole motto, find a way or make one. I, it is uh-huh. on my whiteboard. I live by it every day. I learned that I have a choice uh, in the way that I respond to things and when I want to give up and when I want to keep going. Um, really, really good at just figuring stuff out, figuring it out. Um, and I think this concept that like, people say it all the time so i don't mean to sound cliche but like it's a lot of types of black people out here we are not all the same we are not all we don't talk the same we don't dress the same we don't think the same um and i i think i learned to appreciate the full diaspora of 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 black folks and and who we are you know regardless of where we're from but clark atlanta is not we are hustlers absolutely music Everybody's working on something. Listen, you can't go to Clark Atlanta. There's yeah. musicians, somebody's producing, doing hair, rapping. ABC everything. was popping. 
It's popping, yeah. and everybody wants to come hang out on Clark Atlanta's promenade, and we we, we <laughs> made it happen. But it just really is a, a beautiful space of community, and I'm so blessed. And I'm I'm lucky because I come from a family of of just HBCU people, and I'm I'm praying and I'm hopeful that my kids will go to an HBCU. They go wherever they want, but um, it is a beautiful, beautiful experience. Shout out to all the HBCUs. We might have something yes. special planned for HBCUs. Shout out um, to the city of Atlanta. Let me ask you this: as far as the VC world is concerned, yes. um, what what is what's the rate of returns that you guys look for? Like when you're investing, like in, in your portfolio, like what's the you know ten years like down the line? You say, okay, this this was good. I, it's a two part question, but well, that's the first yeah. part. So first. You trying to get me to go to jail. The SEC is going to be after me. I got to be uh, real uh, careful uh, about what I say. Yes. Um, I don't want them knocking on my door. But I'll actually point to something that Steve Harvey said when he was on with you guys. He he talked to you guys about batting averages. Mm-hmm. And I remember y'all being like, um, ooh, that's the first time we heard that this person's like, dang it. So I can't bring it. That is like the VC metric that we love talking about is VC is about batting averages. Mm-hmm. Um, but the piece that I would add to what uh, Steve said was batting average is important, but also even more important is your slugging percentage, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. what is the magnitude of the hits that you're making? Because your batting average could be X, right? You, you hit three out of 10. Um, but I think everybody would rather, you know, hit a home run with, you know, bases loaded and knock it out of the park. And so we think a lot about what is the magnitude of the investments that we're making. We love, you know, we can hit a single or a double, but we really, really, really love home runs. You know, whether we get a 10x or 50x or 100x or 1000x, um, we really do try to make investments into companies that we think are, are going to return the fund. So let me let me ask you this, if I can. The second part of that question yes. is the harsh reality. Chris Lyons, somebody who you're familiar with. Yes, I know that guy. <laughs> Shout out to our guy. So I was talking to him in LA. Uh oh, I can't hear you. Power went out. Mic went low. Can you hear me now? Yeah. There you are. You plugged your mic up. <laughs> Back in business. All right. Um. So he was talking. I was talking to him in LA a few a few a while ago, and he was saying that um, the greatest wealth opportunity in history is happening right now and will be happening for like the next decade in tech startups. Yep. And he was like, the vast majority of black people is not going to be able to benefit from it. And they're not going to mm-hmm. be able to make any money from it. And we talk about this show is about stock market investing, right? Yep. Public companies. Yep. But we understand that massive amounts of wealth is made on a private side. VC before companies go public. Yep. So like that's where you get a 10,000 X return. And that's when you can turn 50,000 to 5 million. Of course, those that doesn't happen every day, but it's possible. Yeah. That's but you need access. You need relationships. You need money. So that's something that nobody's talking about because Mm -hmm. billions of dollars are being generated with these tech startup companies. And it's going to continue to be generated. But not only do black people hardly get any money from venture capital, they don't really 
they don't have the opportunity or the resources to actually invest in venture capital. So that's a whole nother set of problems. Mm -hmm. So how do we get more people into actually the opportunity to invest in the private market as opposed to only investing in public markets? Yep. So there's a lot there. So first, private market investing and specifically venture capital is dangerously risky. Mm -hmm. It is the riskiest asset class that you can get involved in. And I say that knowing that in the public market, by the time a company goes public, let me just tell you what going public means. Going public means that you've already got a board in place. It means you've got a certain amount of revenue. You've got compliance things. But you've got all these systems in place in order to go public and sell your stock to, to a retail investor that it's already been adjusted for risk. It's already been checked for risk. When you are betting on two guys in a garage in, I'm going to say Montgomery, Alabama, just because I'm yes. from, two guys in a garage in Montgomery, you don't, they could be complete total clowns, right? There's a huge amount of risk that you're taking um, that is just not, simply not there in the public market. Um, and so, and the reason why it's so risky, again, is because venture's a long game and it's eight to 10 years before a company will go public or be bought. Um, so that's 10 years of risk you're taking up front. And we all know in investing, the people who take the biggest risks are the ones that are going to get the biggest reward. And so that's why venture returns are so huge um, or can be really huge because we're paying pennies on the dollar for a, you know, a stock that's you know, $30 when it goes public. Most VC per- firms, you know, six years later, or seven years later, before, sorry, six or seven years before, paid a dollar and 50 cents per share. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm. So but we had to wait, you know, 10 years for it to go public and to actually get liquidity. So your money is locked up for a really, really long time. Um, So with that being said, it's very, very risky. And the government doesn't want people taking that kind of risk as individuals. Right. Because, um, you know, that's why we got those uh, classifications of accredited investor and unaccredited investor. And that's because they don't want people spending their, you know, retirement on some random idea that they heard from a person to be an investor. So it started as a means of protection, but I do think it needs to be loosened because I think there's a lot of, you know, well-qualified, very able people who can make investment decisions, but it's, it's really tough and people need to be protected from that. So there has to be some balance around private and, and public investing. And then the last thing I'll say is, Yes, Black people haven't historically been involved, but like the firms that are coming up the last couple of years with these Black general partners, I know you mentioned John Henry earlier, Mm -hmm. um, and the guys that he works with, there are, I mean, I've known of at least 20 to 30, you know, Black-led or Black GP funds um, in the last two years. So I'm really, really optimistic about it. And like I said, the other way that I think people are going, so black, Black people investing is one way to get money and i'll actually talk about like how we make money because i think that's probably important to 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 describe to people black people investing the dollars when you invest the dollars you get the money back um black people on the cap tables at either as the gp or as an investor in a gp and then black people working at the tech companies right entrepreneurship is not for everybody i say that all the time and i have one thing that i'm trying to get people to stop saying is that like People who work at companies aren't betting on themselves. What? That's crazy. That's like, yeah. that's ridiculous. Like, just leave the company and bet on yourself. I, I don't want to be an entrepreneur. Like, I have no desire to, to build a company, right? So 
for the people who are interested in a particular, you know, problem that they want to work on or company they want to be a part of, getting in at the early stage is really important how you can cash in on, on that, that wealth. Yeah. So one of the, I'm, I'll just add to what Rashad said from, that's from an investment standpoint, but sometimes, you know, having the educational process is even more beneficial when you're hands-on, you're actually in the space. And so what are some of the, the, the opportunities and roles that come within being in a VC firm? Like how do people even apply or what are the qualifications that they need to even be in a firm? Right. And what are the roles? Cause yeah. like, obviously you're, le- you're leading a role, but there's other opportunities for people to be employed inside of it, right? Where they can get hands-on yeah. knowledge. So there's um, space for employing in, in venture and employing in tech. So in venture, if you're, you know, firms like Andreessen Horowitz, um, you know, we, we need all kinds of people, right? We need investors. We need marketing people. Andreessen Horowitz has been a huge kind of marketing and content, you know, machine for the last several years. One of the things we're most Absolutely. known for is our content, right? So editors, podcast people, we have go-to-market folks. So if you've um, done sales and customer success, we support our portfolio companies with those things. So we need folks who have those um, those skill sets. And so I think at the larger stage firms or the larger you know size firms, there's like a range of, of top jobs that you could do. Um, similar to tech. To be in tech, you don't need to be technical. You don't need to know how to code. Mm-hmm. You can be in HR. You can be in marketing. You can be in sales. Um, so it really is just about making that transition into the technology space. Because like you said, I agree with Chris 1000%. Technology is the biggest wealth driver that we have today. Um, and so we were very, very like hardcore about it. And I'll say it over and over again, um, that it is one of the clearest, largest ways to build wealth um, over a period of time. Um, what are the three books and three conferences you think people should attend or read to learn more about angel or venture capital? Mm-hmm. Um, so our founder, Ben Horowitz, has a book called um, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Great book. I think it was a great book about company building and the whole space. Um, and actually, Scott Cooper. Scott Cooper does not get the shine, you know, he deserves. Scott Cooper is one of the four managing directors at Injuries and Horowitz. Um, and he has a book called The Secrets of Sand Hill Road. And for the folks who don't know, Sand Hill Road is considered kind of VC land, right? All of the, the largest um, kind of most active VC firms, at least from years past, are on Sand Hill Road. Um, it's in Menlo Park. All of them are, you know, kind of side by side, all down this road. And it's called Secrets of Sand Hill Road. And you can get um, the insight into what it's like, how people think about investing in companies, how the firm thinks about it. Uh, It's one of my favorite books. That's a solid one. And then um, one of the first ones that I read, it's like a little thin book. It's called Breaking the VC. And I'm sure y'all can agree. One of the, when it comes to things you don't know about, if you get the vocabulary down pat, you're probably 70 to 80% there. If you just learn the language that people are speaking and it breaks down the words like um, investment and like carried interest and, um, you know, ARR or whatever the case may be, um, just so you can get knowledgeable about, about the this, this space and how it works. And actually, can I, can I go back? I mean, I, sorry, go ahead, Rashad. No, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, I brought up carried interest again, and I feel like I should probably tell people about what 
what that is and how VCs make money. Because I think the show is about how it all works and how to get people to yes. make more money. Um, so the, the way that venture firms make money is we take money from outside investors. They're called limited partners. And their hope essentially is that we'll flip it. They hope to give us money and that we'll flip it. And, um, you know, we have fee carried interest. And I think it actually comes from like old school, like shipping, like actual ships where it's like, we'll carry your load from one place to the next, but we're going to keep 20% of either whatever it is you're shipping or the money that you make off of, of shipping. Oh. So it carried over to, to venture capital and investing. And essentially, so say we raise, you know, get a hundred million dollars from outside investors and we three exit. So $300 million we have made from the investments that we made with that original hundred million. A hundred million dollars is going to go back to the investors, right? You get your money back first. And then of the $200 million that's left, um, we're going to divide that out. Some firms take as little as 20%. Some firms take 30% if they, you know, at least three exit, like there's a range, but let's just say 30%. Um, So a hundred goes back to you. And then the 200 million, you get to keep 70%. And then the venture capitalist keeps 30%. So if there's $200 million of profit, we'll keep 60 million. And that's how we make money. Yes, very important. So when we get when we get our black investors on the cap table, that one, what was it, 140 additional goes to them. Um, and I think I had asked you this before, but the ultimate goal for, for you guys is investing in a company and the company either has to go public on a stock market like Uber or one of these tech, yep. tech startups, or it has to be purchased, acquired like yep. Ring, which got acquired by Amazon. Yeah. Those are, those are like the two way, two main ways that you guys would make money, right? Yeah, those are called liquidity events. So our money is locked up until the company goes through a liquidity event um, of going public or being purchased. Hmm. And like when you when you think about like the batting average, slugging percentage, et cetera, when it comes to like how many companies really do fail, right? You said earlier, like, oh, I've heard, um, or a lot of people, a lot of the other people were saying that black women companies fail or black companies fail. Most companies fail. You don't gotta be black. <laughs> you know, like I want to say, like eighty to ninety percent of startups fail because um, it's a tough, it's a tough industry. It's a really tough thing to do, um, and founders have to be really resilient and have a great idea and build the right team and get the right code. Like there's all these pieces that need to work, um, and so it, in venture, a lot of times, if you invest in ten companies, maybe you know, probably seven of them are going to go to zero. And then two might be singles or doubles, but you're praying that one of them, right, is that 100x that you talked about, Rashad. Yeah. Or more. Yeah. I like that. Slugging um, percentage. Yeah. 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 Let's go my to the fi- question before we oh, go ahead, Ian. Yeah. My final question What's the one piece of advice that you wish you would have known six years prior when you entered into the venture space? Mm-hmm. The power of relationships. I didn't know that that was as important as it is and it probably more important than it should be. So even from applying to jobs to, you know, building your house to what it, getting, sending your kids to school, like 
who you know and, and the relationship that you can build is just really important. And when it comes to like finding new companies and sharing deals and spending time with each other, like networks are just really, really important. And I learned that the hard way because I used to, you know, really think that like if I just, I used to think I could do everything on my own. And you, you just can't. Yeah, you cannot. And that fits into so many different ways in different parts of life that you just can't do it all on your own. So building networks is really, really important. Yeah. It's the most, it's actually the most important thing in the world. Um, relationships is like I agree. everything. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are, leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.